No, I say I say to the fans that the fans are the fans and the fans have the right to have their opinions and to have their reactions. Football everything. I'm so happy, believe me. I'm so happy. Lewandowski, you know, Robert Lewandowski. Dream team, dream team. Fire, swoosh. I am flabbergasted and they're here. I wouldn't even let them on the bus after the match. I would get a taxi back to Manchester. <laughs> the only time a tennis ball has ever made me angry. What's viral on Twitter for us tonight is tennis ball. These boys are fucking mentality <laughs> giants. It's unbelievable. This is a great football and country produced players and where we play that rubbish. Yeah. In August 2020, yeah, I'm taking over and that's still decided. I'm angry, I'm angry, Tony, I have to be honest. Stephen Kenny, we've won it. So go on, go back to Scotland and get lost. And I'm certainly going to be a part of that. I'm going to manage that. I'm going to make sure we're even better. And Vitek is there! Robbie Brady Hello and welcome to another edition of the Tree at the Back podcast brought to you by BackpageFootball.com. Joining me this week is Inda Higgins. Hope you're well, Inda. Yep, very well, thanks. Um, well, what a week, I suppose, in the in the world of football. Manager merry-go-rounds. Um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer turned dead man walking to manager killer with his uh, 3-0 win or over Spurs at the weekend that keeps the, the Wolves away from his door for a while. But it's former Wolves manager Nuno Espirito Santo sacked just a few min- months into his tenure um, and two months on from winning the, the Premier League Manager of the Month for August uh, interestingly enough, um, and amongst all of this, waiting in the wings like a, a prowling Randy Orton is Antonio Conte, ready to RKO the first fallen manager. And it looks like that is going to be um, Nuno at Spurs and pick up the pieces. And I'm sure what will be um, a very, very lucrative 18-month contract to save the day there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all coming up. Uh, in part two, we'll be joined by McDara Ferris of ExtraTime.ie and author of the new Shamrock Rovers book, From Rings End to Tella, to take a look at the season that was as Rovers ran out, convincing champions once again. We'll take a look at them, what's going on at Dundalk, some of the exciting young talent currently lighting up the league, and why we should expect more from our national broadcaster when it comes to promoting domestic football. Um, Firstly, Enda, I suppose... A fair bit has happened uh, in the world of Manchester United since uh, yeah. we last got a, a chance to record. You you escaped the uh, the immediate five um, nil post five nil grilling from uh, from myself and Phil. Um, care to to package your thoughts on the past week or so? I mean, it, it looked like Ollie was a dead man walking uh, last Monday, but he, it looks like he lives to fight another day. It looks like Antonio Conte is is off the market. Um, Bit of a whirlwind um, week there for for Man United fans. Yeah, um, very difficult few weeks to be honest to to try and process it all. I mean, um, after the Liverpool match, I think Ali was five to one on to be the first manager of, of the season to lose his job. Poor old Nuno was twenty five to one. So uh, just goes to show how quickly those things have 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 changed um, for both of them. But uh, yeah, just a touch on the Liverpool match. Not too much, uh, but I'll try and represent myself and Phil in one go here. But uh, um, I, I thought the worst goal I, I've seen United concede in a very long time was the first one in Istanbul last year. But I think that first Liverpool goal um, is probably the most catastrophic <laughs> piece of defending I, I, I've ever seen in a match like that. And um, it just kind of got worse from there. Um, and I, I was surprised he, survi- he survived it, to be honest. I, I know we've kind of talked up the reasons why you would give Ali the season, um, mainly due to the work he's done off the pitch, more so than kind of what he's done tactically on it. But 
Um, it was just such a catastrophic performance, not just against Liverpool, but against Leicester as well. Um, and it was just tough to see um, how we could survive that. Um, so obviously a very fortunate Sir Alex Ferguson getting his suit measured up the day after. Uh, Carrington seemed to um, have some influence there as well in terms of... Uh, trying to convince people behind the scenes to persist with Ali. But once a manager gets to three games to save their job type of territory that's being touted, um, you still have to worry for them going forward. But um, in fairness, all he could do was win the next match. And he, he was, I suppose, brave in the sense of changing the formation, um, you know, putting his faith and experience with obviously Varane and Maguire and three at the back and a front two of of Cavani and Ronaldo, but it, it did work very well. And, and probably the first time this season that you've seen United have a cohesive shape for a full 90 minutes um, and very comfortable, particularly after going 1-0 up. So it was, you know, not too surprising in the sense that, you know, we've we've played well against Spurs, particularly away in the last few seasons. Um, and they're such a rabble at the moment uh, under Nuno. Um so, uh, as somebody pointed out uh, recently, uh, this morning, that um, things are so bad when you lose to Man United that you're the first manager to lose your job this season. So, uh, that seemed to sum up the thoughts of a lot of kind of United and Spurs fans at the weekend. Um, I suppose if United did have the suitable candidate ready and waiting, um, Ollie probably would have lost his job. Um, my gut is they're waiting for two or three of their prime candidates to be available in the summer. Uh, probably Pochettino, maybe Ten Hag or, or Graham Potter. So that kind of type of manager, I think, is is what they would see as the kind of next um, logical type of person to come in and, and kind of continue the work Ali has done. I always felt that the next manager would benefit heavily from the work Solskjaer has done. And, and even looking at the squad that travelled to At- Atlanta today on paper, it still is a, an, an excellent squad. I don't think any manager would turn down. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that develops. But yeah, another big game tomorrow. And it's, we seem to be judging him on a game-by-game basis, which is exhausting in itself. But you know, two good wins this week and, and the international break could, could look a, a lot different for him. But still a lot of work to do to turn it around, I think. But uh, Saturday was was at least a step in the right direction. Um, and I'm not surprised that they've not um, pushed the button on Conte because I think it's it's a different type of manager for, you know, the Glazers and Woodward to deal with. Woodward's on his way out, obviously. So handing it over to Arnold um, would be a tricky kind of, uh, handover period as well and uh, I, I just don't think it's the type of squad that would gel with a Conte he likes extremely experienced uh, specific type of players and, and I still think a, a manager who has more experience working with younger players um, and, and elevating their games which which is what we really need in the next two to three years after Ali uh, will be the way forward uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens longer term but um, I'm interested to see how Conte goes in the league for sure uh, at a struggling team yeah, I mean, we'll look at Conte through the Spurs prism shortly, which mm. kind of doesn't make sense because ultimately I, I don't think Nuno was the right appointment on yep. day one for Spurs. So there, you know, a lot of people, I, I've seen a lot of people kind of question like, Jesus, you know, Spurs were so quick to, to pull the plug on Nuno. Why aren't United doing the same um, with Oli? But I do, I do, you know, two completely different scenarios. I think Spurs were probably right um, based on, on the very small sample size to, to call it kind of, you know, you wipe their hands of Nuno considering he was what nine choice at the time in the summer yeah. um, but like I mean we were saying it amongst ourselves last week that Conte at United to me anyway didn't seem 
uh, like a good idea. I mean, if I was a United fan, I would have been very um, skeptical of it simply because, I mean, if you have the likes of Sancho and Greenwood and uh, and, and uh, Rashford, I mean, you really want to have a go at a progressive manager, whether it is Ten Hag, who has obviously had fantastic results at Ajax, Potter, um, who is a fantastic, you know, Brighton are playing fantastic football. Yeah, some of the best football in the league at the moment, for sure. Yeah, I mean, Conte, I mean, sure, he probably would have turned things down in, in, in the short term, but you probably would have been likely looking at, you know, finding another manager in, in two or three seasons' time. Yeah, and, and even the fact that the 18-month contract that's been rumoured, I mean, it just doesn't scream kind of long-term thinking, um, which is probably not what Spurs need right now, in fairness. Uh, they're in such a desperate state that they do need to, you know, an instant hit. Um, and they're a different type of squad to United as well. So um, <laughs> it's it's probably not too surprising. It probably looks a more natural fit in terms of uh, the club that needs you know, probably a bigger sweeping change in mentality at the moment uh, compared to uh, United, who I still think, you know, a, a younger, or not even younger, just a more progressive, stylistic manager um, with yeah. the players that are coming through, especially in the under-23s as well, um, not just the young guys in, in the squad. Um, so, you know, I'm I'm not too surprised that they're just going to try and blag their way through it to the summer and then try and make um, a bigger decision and also see who's available. I mean, who knows where Pochettino will be by that stage. I mean, if PSG don't get through their Champions League group and they've two difficult away matches to come there, um, uh, he could be in a lot of bother. So things could look a lot different in, in four or five months' time anyways in the managerial landscape. But there just doesn't seem to be a really natural successor available at the moment to take over from Solskjaer. And that's probably what saved his job in the end. Yeah, I mean, going to the win at the weekend, um, I mean, you must have been slightly surprised by uh, the formation, the the 5-3-2 uh, to go with Ronaldo and Cavani up top. Um, I mean, I was reading uh, Shane Keegan did a kind of a tactical analysis piece for, for the 42, um, and I think he was pretty bang on. You know, it did bring a lot of defensive solidity, which is something um, United were considerably missing um, in prior weeks, especially against... Liverpool, but it it may come at a cost. I mean, do you think he'll persist with this? Do you think this effectively shuns out um, Jadon Sancho for for the foreseeable future? Do you think this is just kind of a kind of a Fergie style, um, you know, slowing things down, you know, going back to basics, and then we'll kind of push on then as as we kind of steady the ship a little bit. Yeah, I think there's a few few things going on here. Number one, a lot's been made about the United press or lack of it in the past few weeks, uh, particularly with Ronaldo as your number nine. But the, the United team has never been a pressing team anyways, and we've always looked out of shape whenever we try and do it. So it's it's not too surprising that, you know, he's trying to ditch that type of approach anyways. Um, what I do like about the 5-3-2 or 3-5-2 or whatever way you want, you want to call it is it does fix two big issues for United uh, this season, number one is the lack of a defensive midfielder, and then the other one is you know Maguire's catastrophic start as well to the season, and uh, he just hasn't looked comfortable beside anybody really since coming back from the Euros, which has been a big surprise really considering how how well he finished that tournament. So having that three at the back and then that kind of bank of four protecting them as well, it it definitely offered them uh, a solidity and a shape uh, and. 
being able to manage a game, which is something that we've really struggled to do under Solskjaer. It's always been these bursts of 10 or 15 minutes, two or three goals. And then, you know, we're either hanging on or, or, or we see out the game, but it's, it's never really been comfortable to watch at any time, whether we're winning or losing. We always seem to just be kind of chasing our tails a little bit, whereas I felt Saturday was extremely comfortable, helped massively by Spurs. And I think that's a big caveat as well. So we need to see yeah. uh, how it can be used going forward. But, but I wouldn't be overly against it. I think, um, you know, at least for a few weeks to get Ollie out of trouble in these big games and then look at how you can kind of set up a more um, uh, attacking front three or front four, hopefully with Sancho, Greenwood and, and Rashford, or at least two of them involved. But uh, I think for now he'll probably stick with it just because it's, you know, gave him his most important win of the season so far. And, um, uh, you know, Lindelof's out tomorrow night. So it'll be interesting to see if if he moves one of the fullbacks into that back three and then starts either Tellez or Dallow, um, both of who are probably more suited to, to the wing-back positions anyway. So you do have the, the profile of player in there to make the most of those um, for, formation changes. And then obviously Bruno further up behind the two strikers worked really well on Saturday as well. So I think that's probably his best position. So so it did, it did gel really well on Saturday, surprisingly so. But again, with that huge uh, asterisks of <laughs> Spurs being completely shambolic. But um, I wouldn't be against it for the next couple of weeks, at least just to see if we can kind of replicate that sort of solidity again, because, um, you know, we're averaging conceding under a goal game with Ran in, in the side, even in, even in a back four. So it's probably not something that's needed longer term. Um, uh, but, you know, to steady the ship uh, and the fact that it works so well, uh, I'd be surprised if you didn't persist with it for, for a few weeks anyway. Mm. And obviously, Atalanta and, and City coming up. Um, do you think, is does Oli have the season now or are we going to kind of turn around on Monday um, if City have, have, I mean, comprehensively beaten United? Are we, are we talking about Oli's future again or do you think uh, the past week has probably... Uh, showing everyone that you know he is going to be given time at least until, like you said, someone a little bit more um, appealing becomes available. Yeah, I mean, as I said, I'm trying not to take it on a game by game basis. As I said at the start, when you when you do hit that kind of X amount of games to save your job, it, it always feels like the end, anyways. But the fact that they didn't pull the trigger after the five nil would suggest that he'll uh, he'll get an extended stay of execution. Um, and they'll probably just try and, and stutter their way to fourth, I think, at this stage, um, which they're more than capable of doing with the talent that's in the squad and then reassess in the summer. Um, and they'll probably get out of the Champions League group, I would assume. Um, Atalanta weren't great in the second half at Old Trafford and, um, you know, were a bit, uh, bit all over the place at the weekend against Lazio as well. So, um I, I think it's a good time for United to be going there, which which sounds outrageous after such a bad result against Liverpool. But um, it is the type of match, uh, an away match, that United usually are slightly more comfortable in under Ali compared to kind of that pressure of having to attack teams at home. And uh, and as we saw at Old Trafford, you know, that expansive style will give United a lot of chances. So, you know, I, I expect a positive result tomorrow and then kind of who knows where City will be at, pretty poor at the weekend and, and you know, have, have a... Have a you know, handy game during the week. So you, you'd expect them to play much better um, at the weekend. But uh, I, I think he'll get um, more time after the international break because, you know, if, if you're going to do something drastic, I think you would have done it by now. Yeah, on Spurs then, I mean, their problems probably go all the way back to uh, uh, 
sacking Pochettino first day, bringing in Jose Marino. Um, not surprising to anyone that didn't uh, really work out and they ended up giving him the flick soon after. Um, and I mean, a lot of has been said today about, you know, sacking Nuno so soon, I suppose, into his his, uh, his era there. But, I mean, he was, what, eight or nine choice in the summer. I mean, he was behind the likes of Gennaro Gattuso, which I think shows mm. um, how much of a, uh, a kind of a plan Spurs had in regards to their management. So, I mean, a debate for another day is how does Daniel Levy still have the role he does? Um, the fact that he's kind of, you know, chewing through managers so quickly over the years. Um, and some of his decision making and, and appointments have have been very questionable. But I think on you know despite the bases that there are what eight in the league, and I think you know obviously uh, Nuno won um, manager of the month in August. Things were going quite well. Um, I'm not sure if you saw on on Monday Night Football, um, Jamie Carragher just compared some of the numbers of um, of Pochettino to to Nuno over the course of their. Uh, small uh, sample size over the course of the 10 or 12 games he had in charge but I mean completely different and it's not a huge surprise either because Nuno is essentially a very similar manager to, to what Jose has done um, and it's not a huge surprise considering how um, I suppose you know boring to watch Wolves are over the course of his tenure I mean they had moments um, that kind of caught people's eye uh, with certain players but you know, they weren't shooting the lights out. They weren't uh, hugely an entertaining side. Um, but it does look like Conte is going to come in now. I mean, I'd be very surprised given the talk today that it isn't kind of uh, agent speak to, to get Man United to, uh, to to push Ollie and get him in. It does look like Conte uh, will be appointed. And I, it does, whereas I was a bit sceptical about Conte to United, I think Conte to Spurs has a little bit better feel to it, especially if you're someone like Harry Kane who... Obviously, he wanted to leave in the summer, but I mean, he's been pretty atrocious so far this season. And and when you're looking at what um, Conte did with Lukaku at Inter, you must be pretty excited to to find a little bit of form there. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. Uh, you talk about when did the problem start for Spurs? I actually think they just let the squad go too stale under Pochettino when he was demanding uh, changes, and, and it kind of just all unraveled from there so quickly. Mm. Um, but. Uh, you know, I, I feel a bit for Nuno um, because uh, apparently a couple of his assistants who he, he wanted to follow him to to two Spurs uh, wouldn't agree to it. And you know, you're always on the back foot if, if you if you don't have your full kind of back team with you joining joining you at a new club. Uh, and then being so publicly, I think the Athletic said today he was between seventh and tenth on the list. Um, you know, they'd agreed with Fonseca, they'd beg Gattuso to join. So. Uh, you know, it was just, it just didn't feel like a right fit for anybody at the time. It was just kind of um, this hoping this kind of marriage of convenience would pay off. And it did for those first few weeks, but Spurs were pretty uninspiring, uh, even in those wins. And then, you know, they needed a kind of a confidence booster uh, in uh, the Conference League. And then he leaves all all the first team at home, you know, so it was, it was kind of dead man walking, even it felt like at that stage. So, um yeah, I I do feel a bit for him, but um, you know, I think it's it'll be a far more interesting watch now with Conte coming in. It, it does feel like the type of experienced balance in a squad that he usually likes to deal with. You know, you think Hoiberg can kind of be his his Brozovic, if you like, Kane his Lukaku. You know, uh, Son can be you know 
the kind of Lotaro Martinez or you know mm. even that Hazard role that he, he had at Chelsea that freedom uh, under Conte to be that kind of playmaker so there are elements there um, Christian Romero has looked like an excellent signing so far as well so again if he can build the back three around him I think Spurs are will be in much better shape there and and um, you know a couple of players have been lucky to get so much time this season skip and a few of the others so you, you'd imagine he'll he'll address that thing um so i'm really interested to see him back in the league i think he's he's a he's a fascinating manager he's very intense obviously and you know um i think they were saying today juve were eight the season before he joined and they won the league chelsea had finished ninth and then inter had finished i think fifth or sixth so um it is the type of situation he does come in and, and thrive in um but it seems like a, a huge clash of personalities uh <laughs> at, at a at a board level when he's got mm. when he he makes such demands to be backed and you know whether it's a 37 year old fullback or a 16 year old playmaker or free agent like Pogba was at the time um if you don't get your man you know he lets you know all about it um or if you bring him a player he doesn't want like Ross Barkley or, or Danny Drinkwater he'll he'll hang you out to dry as well so um uh it's 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 going to be an interesting one that's for sure he he I think he has worked with uh, Paratici before as well so that so that could have an influence um also there was this weird thing the Athletic were saying today that Paratici and and not Nuno got Jose's old office so I'm not even sure what that's about so obviously there's a bit of power play in the background there as well at Spurs which probably didn't help uh the mood around the club so um yeah it'll be interesting to see how it goes but um uh yeah it'll certainly make Spurs a, a more interesting club to follow for the rest of the season yeah I'm sure it'll be box office at least between um Levy and Conte. Um, I don't know if Amazon have signed up for a season two there on on, on that Spurs program, but uh, it could have been a, a an interesting one. Um, moving on quickly to Liverpool at the weekend, and I mean they've been absolutely flying at this season, um, and then stopped by the uh, the the force that is Graham Potter's uh, Brighton. Um, before we get on to Graham Potter um, and how well Brighton have been doing. Um, not a great result for Liverpool. It did feel like points dropped, um, having been 2 0 up after 25 minutes. Looked absolutely imperious uh, early doors and kind of looked like a game that was only going to go one way in terms of a, a 4 or 5 0 win for Liverpool. But injuries are starting to mount now, um, particularly in the midfield. Obviously, um, the defensive injuries last year um, had such a toll on the team over the course of the season. Um, they kind of rectified that, they brought in. Um, Ibrahima Kanate, um, uh, Joel Matip is, is a little bit fitter and seems to have uh, been on some sort of a, a minute schedule um, being rotated in and out of the team at the moment. Um, but in the midfield now, I mean, Fabinho is injured and he's obviously the huge loss um, that is considerably felt regardless of the opposition. But I mean, Thiago uh, has been injured, which, you know, hasn't been anything new from a, from a Liverpool perspective. Milner is out. Kate is unfortunately injured. He'd been doing so well. Um, over the course of the season, finally looked like he was finding form, um, and finding uh, a little bit of form off the injury table as well, considering his uh, his last couple of years. Um, and then some of the other options. I mean, Curtis Jones, a good young talent, but I don't think he was particularly good on Saturday against Brighton. Mm. Um, and neither was Oxley Chamberlain, um, who I thought was really really poor, and probably showed why he hasn't been used more often by by Klopp, um, despite um. Setting up that first goal with the, uh, or the second goal rather with that with that lovely cross. But um, um, I mean, obviously, per, um, you know, 
retrospect, looking at, at letting Wijnaldum walk out the door for free. Um, and it's kind of funny then to see him. Uh, it doesn't look like he, he's overly enjoying PSG so far. No. I think he's. Um, I don't think he's been particularly welcomed <laughs> by uh, the the, uh, the cohort of South Americans yeah. um, over in Paris. But I mean, the fact that they let him go, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't tie into to what FSG are doing in terms of uh, age profile and, and renewing guys on big contracts. But they didn't even replace him, um, and it's definitely been felt now because. Uh, I mean, when you're relying on injury-prone players and, you know, guys who aren't particularly suited to the role, um, it is very quickly seen, seen some of the issues that we saw in defence last year. Yeah, I mean, I would have had Wijnaldum as, you know, kind of arguably one of, you know, Klopp's top four or five most important players in the entire squad just because of how re- how reliable he was injury-wise compared to the other midfielders and, and the fact that he, you know, was able to change his entire game so successfully once once Klopp got a hold of him. I mean, this was basically a number ten at uh, PSV in Newcastle, and and to uh, and still plays there for the Netherlands pretty much. Um, so for him to to become this kind of midfield facilitator and just sit there and do the job and and let the front three and the fullbacks uh, take full creative control of the side gave you know Liverpool so much balance and and dominance and shape. Uh, so. Yeah, I was always slightly concerned for Liverpool that he was going to be a huge loss. I know Phil um, was also very concerned in the summer uh, in the group as well when we were we were talking about um, uh, what a big loss he would be. And, and you know, Thiago, um, that's really somebody who can't be trusted now at the moment injury-wise. And, you know, they did bring Minamino back and um, he's had a few cameos that have been, you know, less than impressive. So um, I think the Elliott injury has to be, you know, Markdown is really, really unlucky, though. I mean, in fairness, it was a huge call by Klopp to to give him so much responsibility after his his stint at Blackburn last year, and rightfully so, I felt. And and that looked like your Wijnaldum replacement, um, somebody with that kind of uh, personality to be able to step into that midfield and and really um, impose himself on games exactly like he was doing at the start of the season. So uh, that would be the one out of all those kind of injuries that you would say is probably the most unlucky because. Um, you know, not really a player who's had injuries before. I think he played 40-odd games for Blackburn last year. So um, he would have been somebody that Klopp would have hoped to to bank on a lot more this season. So um, that's where I would have a bit of sympathy in terms of the squad. But yeah, it is it is starting to look very light at the moment. And, you know, even not replacing Shakiri as well, who was always a kind of useful wild card for Liverpool and, and delivered a lot of big moments for them. Um, and, you know, you're, you're still relying on Jota and Firmino to, to rotate that number nine role and, and, you know, both can have kind of good and bad streaks. So it's it's starting to look slightly tricky for Liverpool after, you know, such an impressive win um, at Atletico as well as at Old Trafford. But, you know, when you look at the players who are out, um, Milner, Fabinho, Elliott, um, you know, basically, I don't think Ox or Minamino would start uh, against Atletico during the week. So the options are starting to look extremely limited. Um and then you're at the risk then of, of running Henderson into the ground as well, who's, you know, I know he's still only 31, but um, as you said, he's played a lot of football since kind of 2008, 2009, I think 350-odd league games under his belt now at this stage. So uh, he's, there's, there's not much petrol left in the tank there, you think, as well. So definitely the, that midfield would be kind of the most concerning area for Liverpool going forward in terms of whether they can sustain this impressive start. Yeah, and I mean, in terms of the game then on on Saturday, and 
to turn attention to Brighton slightly, I mean, I saw an interesting kind of analysis on, on Liverpool where they tend to struggle um, has seemed to be against the likes of, of Brentford and now Brighton where they've had two up front, uh, a flat back four um, where Salah kind of gets most of his, uh, his success uh, against uh, a back three slash five um, as we'd seen against United the other week. But I mean, I've been so impressed with Brighton this season and I know they haven't really been getting some results lately, but they should have beaten Arsenal. Um, they were very poor against Man City, which I suppose you can excuse considering the, the quality of the opposition. But every game they go out, they seem to be prepared and they have a plan, um, which is something a lot of managers can 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 you know considerably lack. Um, and I mean, we can't, it's easy to, to slag Brendan Rodgers um, at Leicester, and I mean, I've seen him linked with United, and I've seen him, you know, being touted as as, as a manager capable of making that step back up into a, a top four side or so. But I mean, I think Potter is at a better level now at Brighton than Rodgers was at Swansea before he went to Liverpool. Um, based on what I've seen at Brighton so far, I mean, their plan, their their execution. I mean, they were two 0 down at Anfield, and they just stuck with their plan. And Liverpool, obviously, the injuries didn't help um, and they tired very quickly and um, the likes of Oxlade, Chamberlain, considerably out of position as, as well as Curtis Jones. But, I mean, it, to me, it seems inevitable that Graham Potter um, will get that call up, whether it's, a, I don't know, it might need a, a Rodgers to leave Leicester for him to get a chance. But, um, I mean, I'm so impressed with him and I think... You know, it's easy to kind of dismiss him as uh, as kind of another flash in the pan. We've seen a lot of them over the past couple of years, um, you know, getting touted for jobs that not necessarily worked out. I suppose Nuno is a good recent example at Wolves. Um, Eddie Howe at Brighton was was the flavour of the month for, for a while and never got his chance to, to move on to a bigger club. But um, there's something about Brighton that I really like. And uh, I, I think everyone is kind of starting to get on that train now um, so uh, it remains to be seen, I suppose, whether uh, it's a, a flesh in the pan itself. Yeah, I don't think it is. I mean, this was a guy who who managed almost, you know, 250 games at, at Oosterton and they speak of him still, um, even though he's been gone three years, three and a half years now, extremely highly in terms of his coaching ability, the shape he was able to, to get um, from, you know, what was seen as a very limited squad. Um, and just even back then, the, that tactical awareness um apparently came across very well to anybody who watched that team. And and the incredible thing about Brighton is when you actually see them on paper, I mean, you know, that starting back four on Saturday against an informed Liverpool team who've just scored five at United and three at Atletico, you know, Veltman, Duffy, Dunk, um, and the young Spanish fullback, Cucurea, that wouldn't really scare um, probably, you know, the most informed attacking team in Europe. But just the the structure and, and kind of belief that Potter has has managed to instill in them. I mean, they were really unlucky last year as well in in a lot of the matches that that they drew or lost um, when they really dominated teams, and they just seem to be getting a, a little more luck now this season in terms of their finishing. The XG. The, yeah, exactly. If if Phil was here, he'd have the XG stats listed for us. Um, I know he felt Mwepu's goal was a fluke, but I, I just thought it was just an insane finish. But the, that that was me. But um, you know. Not even both goals. I just think the way they they played the second half, they they completely dominated Liverpool, and it's 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 one of the most impressive performances I've seen seen at Anfield from a visiting team in in, in quite a long time, especially two 0 down and the VAR um, that would have made a three 0 It's easy to just you know sink into your shoes, and and most sides would have done. And uh, we've seen a lot of 
bigger teams and more experienced teams in Brighton do that against Klopp's Liverpool. So um, really impressive to watch. Um, very kind of astute signings as well. Um, uh, it would have been interesting to see if they had managed to get Darwin Nunes from Benfica uh, in the summer, who they were, uh, I think they bid between 20 and 30 million for him. Um, and the impact that would have had up front. But Tross has, has started the season very well. Um, so uh, I think that they have a lot going for them at the moment. Lamptey coming back from injury as well. The form of Duffy, as we've spoken about before. So mm. um, you just hope that, you know, they don't get pillared uh, if um, Potter does go, because you'd imagine Basuma will be high on, on a lot of teams' lists uh, in particular. And that's the type of player that if you lose you could you know the whole balance of the side could be affected so it, it'll be interesting to see how they manage that going forward but uh you know tough not to be impressed with them this season on Broders then and Leicester Arsenal at the weekend and I, I put it into uh, our group chat on Saturday morning that I felt this game was going to uh, have a big uh, win either way um, and Arsenal then tune it up after 20 minutes it looks like it was only going in one direction but in fairness Leicester um, got back into it. I think they probably had the, the bulk of the possession um, kind of pestered Arsenal for the rest of the game. But um, what a turnaround it's been for, for um, Aaron Ramsdale. And I mean, anytime I saw him at um, Sheffield United, I was absolutely unimpressed. Um, he didn't strike me as a particularly good uh, goalkeeper. It's certainly one that wouldn't be, you know, be coveted by a big team uh, towards the top end of the Premier League. Um, I mean, Dean Henderson definitely had the more uh, impressive Sheffield United spell before returning to United. But, I mean, he's completely turned it around and you can kind of see what Arsenal are getting at now. Um, I think he's still only 22 or 23. His distribution looks absolutely fantastic, but he's added shot-stopping now and probably one of the saves of the season, if not the past couple of years, with that uh, with that free-kick save uh, against uh, James Madison. Yeah, I, I watched a good bit of him at Sheffield United and I thought he was just pretty shambolic any time I saw him and, and just seemed to have no confidence, which for a young goalkeeper, um, we know Dean Henderson is probably too overconfident uh, the other way, but with Ramsdale, he just you know seemed to be shrinking every time I, I saw him play last season. So um, with the fee Arsenal paid in the summer, I honestly, I couldn't make any sense of it at all considering some of the options they could have gone for, even somebody like Sergio Romero as a free agent or... You know that that's the type of keeper I thought they would try and bring in to keep them ticking over for a while. But um, you know I think Arsenal deserve a lot of credit. They obviously saw something in him that you know a lot of us didn't see. Um, and you know the distribution has just been absolutely phenomenal. I mean there was three or four times in the first half against Leicester that you know he just played um outrageous passes to the mm, to the forwards. And, yeah, and uh, it just seems to change Arsenal uh, in terms of you know you look at. The playing out they tried to do from the back in the past kind of eighteen months and it's it's had very mixed success but with with Aaron Ramsdale um, distribution he just seems to be able to bypass that completely and and really puts them on the front foot um, and as you said I mean the save was phenomenal from the free kick I saw a few people disputing it today on Twitter saying well you know it was more central than it looks and maybe because it hit the bar it's aesthetically pleasing but you know, I just thought it was a phenomenal save and, and deserved a lot of credit and he made another one earlier in the game as well from uh, I think it was Madison um, and uh, that, that really surprised me as well certainly I, I've not seen him uh, at full stretch like that before successfully for Sheffield United so yeah, he looks in, in excellent form and, and far more confident and Arsenal and, and Arteta deserve a lot of credit for mm. obviously seeing something in him that a lot of others didn't. 
to do, yeah. And I think I saw a stat that Arsenal had have had nine out of ten of the youngest starting 11s in the Premier League this season. So, I mean, they are working with a, a very young team um, and I suppose persisting with Arteta could um, have longevity there if uh, if he's able to mould uh, a team in his vision with the likes mm. of Saka and Smith-Rowe and um, one player I've been quite, quite impressed with is Tommy Asu at, at fullback. He, yep. he looks like an absolute giant. I think he's like six foot three, which is kind of unusual for a for a fullback, especially an Arsenal fullback. But uh, yeah, he looks the business as well. Uh, kind of another signing that uh, a lot of people were kind of scratching their heads at in the summer. Seems to be working out um, at Arsenal. Um, quickly on another team that we were probably a little bit quick to write off uh, in the summertime is Crystal Palace. Um, Paddy Vieira's Crystal Palace 2-0 win against Manchester City um, and I don't know if you saw with Fred Zaha's interview after the game just kind of discussing what's changed between um, Roy Hodgson and now but I mean it's essentially you know it's more or less the same forward line with Zaha and, and, and Jordan Ayew but you know he's just kind of trying to explain that you know the change has been further back to field where the defence in the midfield are, are given more time on the ball um, they're allowed to set up chances and kind of move the ball around and, and, and retain possession, whereas before it was kind of a little bit more um, a hidden hope into the forward line and it was probably down to, to, to Zaha to create most of the chances. And there was definitely a period there where he was probably a, a one-man team uh, under Roy Hodgson. But, I mean, a huge credit to, to Paddy Vieira for, for turning things around and uh, getting a couple of big wins there. And, I mean, beating Manchester City, who... Um, were a little bit poor on the day, obviously, and down to 10 men at half time. But uh, you're not going to give out about that. Uh, and I mean, Palace looked the business under under Paddy Vieira so far, I think. Yeah, and particularly with uh, Ezzy out as well for the past. I think he's been injured for six months now. Mm. Uh, I think he's. He... Although he's. He was named in the uh, under 23 team today. So I yeah, I saw that. I saw his interview. Recovery, so yeah. um, that, that'll be a huge, uh, huge win for them, him coming back. So yeah, no, I mean. <laughs> I, in particular, was particularly scathing of Paddy V there uh, in our uh, pre-season podcast. But, um, you know, uh, I get it wrong pretty much all the time anyway. So that's that's <laughs> nothing new to you. But, uh, yeah, no, fair play. They, they really play with a lot of confidence. And, and, you know, and, and even coming back against Leicester from two down um, a few weeks ago, I think that's certainly something we probably wouldn't have seen under Hodgson. Mm. Um uh, a match against City, it is the type of match that you would expect to suit them because obviously, you know, City get hit on the counter a lot at home. And, and when you do have Zaha and, and, and Gallagher, who's been phenomenal this season, um, you know, you can't punish teams like that. But still, to go there and, and play as well as they did. Um, and they really limited City to, to not many chances at all. And, and um, I think De Bruyne, was he hooked at half time or, or early in the second half, which doesn't happen too often. So, uh, they really had their game plan nailed and, uh, you know, we didn't see much of this coming from Paddy V from his time in MLS or in France. But, um, uh, you know, uh, another one proving us wrong this season, mm. one of many. Um, and uh, it, it's good because they've got a really exciting squad on paper. Maybe, you know, up front um, could do with somebody slightly younger than I um uh, I know. I know they have a couple of younger players uh, coming through in the academy. Have a very strong academy as well, which uh, it'll be interesting to see how they manage that going forward. Um, and obviously, bringing in Edward in the summer um, uh, has made a big difference as well. Um, so now I'm really excited to see how they kind of push on, particularly with Ezzy back now. I think if he can integrate him with Gallagher uh, and Zaha and Edward, you've got a really exciting front four there, um, and the the back six kind of takes care of itself then. So. Um, 
Palace could be in really good shape to to maybe push for a European spot this season if they can keep up that form. Mm. Uh, you mentioned the Brian getting hooked, Grealish getting hooked as well. Um, things aren't all too rosy for him since he's moved to City. Um, I mean, I was looking at stats comparing um, City this season to last, and he is comfortably City's most creative player. I think he's nearly double chances created uh, compared to any other player. But last year, it was a lot more even across the board, and which is what we were kind of used to with City. I mean, it wasn't a surprise to see, uh, you know, Bernardo Silva, De Bruyne, Jesus, Foden, whoever popping up, creating chances. Sterling, obviously, who's kind of out of favour now. Uh, it doesn't seem to be going so well for, for, for Grealish there. He seems to be, uh, and uh, Aston Villa obviously aren't going well since uh, since his departure. Mm. Sounds like uh, uh, both are yearning for each other nearly. Yeah, a bit like Wijnaldum and Liverpool. Um, uh, you'd imagine if, if both could go back, would they prefer it the other way? But um, I, I suppose the strange thing for me is Grealish has pretty much predominantly played as a, as a winger in a front three, um, which obviously somebody with his skill set who, who was so much who was used so much to playing deeper at Villa and kind of being the league creator that way. And that that's really what took his game up to another level. He's a, he's a fabulous dribbler as well from deep, which is something that I think a lot of Premier League, top Premier League teams and, and the English national team need um, because you don't have too many midfielders who, who are comfortable uh, at dribbling past opponents as he is. So it really surprised me how high up the pitch he's playing for them, especially when you have the win- winger options that they do in, in Ferran Torres, uh, Sterling and Mares. So, you know, you've got three of the best wingers in Europe there. Mm. Um, so, uh, and then you have this weird situation where Pep probably feels under pressure to play him so much um, because they did pay such a big fee for him. But uh, I was concerned with the signing at the time, just in terms of how, how they would all gel together and, you know, would it limit the, the game time of, of Foden in particular as well? Um, I didn't think Sterling and, and Mares would be as affected as they have been. So it, it's been a tough balance for City and, and um, in the two matches they've really struggled at at home this season, Burnley and, and Palace, uh, Grealish has kind of been the main uh, agitator among City fans online. So it'll be interesting to see um, how that situation develops going forward. But um you know, it'll all probably fix itself again during the week when they, you know, mm. have a comfortable five or <laughs> five or six nil win against uh, the Belgians. Uh, so, uh, yeah, but it'll be interesting to see how they line up at Old Trafford next week um, and and where exactly Grealish does play in that. Because, you know, I'd be much more concerned if, if it was a front three of, uh, you know, Jesus, Mares, and Sterling, for example, with either Foden or Grealish behind them then. Just to finish off quickly, some, uh, I suppose, good news on, on the Irish front was Andromo Bamidele getting a, a start for Norwich, um, an enforced start, I think, through uh, suspensions there. But, um, I mean, he was up against Rafinha, um, who's obviously, you know, top-class player for Leeds. He's been linked with Liverpool and Barcelona and Real Madrid and tons of the higher-end Champions League sides. Um, so I, I think you were and I was, um, kind of <laughs> blown away uh, by Harry or Harry Jamie Redknapp's um, assessment at halftime. Mm. I mean, I had it on in the background. I wasn't watching it. Even I had to take a double take when I when I heard him criticise Umbabami Daly, who uh, was he eighteen or nineteen? He was playing on the left of a back three for the first time, coming up against Rafinha. I mean, you got to cut a guy some slack. Yeah. Um, uh, where do you start with that? I mean. Jamie Redknapp should be unemployed a long time ago anyways as a, as a Sky pundit. But, uh, 
Yeah, I, I nearly fell off my chair when, when, I, when I heard that. I mean, I just thought it was devastatingly harsh. In fairness, he did kind of try and cover himself a bit, saying, well, he had a difficult start, but he, he improved throughout the game. But I, I thought he was really strong throughout the whole game. And against, as you said, Rafinha, who's one of the best attackers in the, in the league and, and really carrying leads at the moment, especially without Bamford. So, um, you know, I think he's really unlucky not to have played a lot more this season. And hopefully he does going forward because, you know, he's looked excellent for Ireland and Norwich whenever I've seen him play. So, uh, yeah, a very odd piece of analysis there. It felt like kind of just an easy, cheap shot. Um, take a dig at the young defender playing his starting his first league game of the season, you know. But um, mm. uh, probably one not to pay too much notice of because I thought he was he was really really good and and great to see a defender being uh, offensive in in the opposition box as well like he was it was a great header for the goal so um you know really excited to see uh, if he can get a lot more minutes this season mm. a bit of a shame that Ida isn't getting more minutes as well um especially when Sargent and Pookie aren't really pulling up any trees there in attack but um he might need a loan I'd say in January um bit of a Troy Parrott uh type of move hopefully um but, uh, yeah, no, I was really impressed with him yesterday and, and hopefully sign of things to come. Mm. Yeah, and I don't know if it's my green-tinted goggles when it comes to Umbabama Daly, but he does look absolutely fantastic at this stage of his career. Um, I mean, he looks so calm in the ball. He looks comfortable mm. with the ball at his feet in terms of bringing it out. Um, I mean, I mean, when he kind of came on the scene last year, he was, you know, getting compared to someone like Rio Ferdinand, which is yeah. obviously a little bit observed, uh, absurd at that stage of his career. But I can kind of see it. I mean, he does yeah. look absolutely terrific. Um, and if you're a team in the Premier League and Norwich get uh, relegated, which they most certainly will, I mean, you have to take a punt on this guy because he does look the business. And I don't think it's the Irish biasness. I think there is something to it. No, absolutely. And I think he was man of the match in a few games at the end of last season in the championship. Or if he wasn't man of the match, he certainly had glowing reviews from, from the Norwich fans after um, a few starts at the end of last season. So uh, I'm really surprised with, with, with how Farc has managed him this season, considering you know the struggles they've had at the back. And he certainly seems to be the type of manager who knows what Obama Daly can do, you know, so, um, you know, to wait until basically November to give him his first start after such a dodgy start to the season has has been a bit disappointing, to be honest. I can maybe understand it a bit with Ida, um, but uh, it's been a really confusing one for me, especially seeing how well he performed, you know, uh, in Portugal in particular, for example, how good he was there, so um but you know i'm glad that uh hopefully people will start to see it more and more and i i wouldn't be surprised if he did get a big big premier league move next season for sure first i thought you treated your bollocks to be quite honest <laughs> this is live Delighted to be joined by Macdara Ferris, Extra Time Dari reporter and author of new Shamrock Rovers book from Ringsend to Tella. Thanks for coming on, Macdara. Hope you're well. I'm good. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for having us on. No problem at all. Um, and I think what better place to start uh, from your point of view is uh, is with the champions. Um, League of Ireland title sealed last Friday night with a, a comprehensive win against Finn Harps. Um, three games to spare as well, so uh, a pretty impressive showing all round. That's two titles in a row now for Rovers. Um, over over the weekend, I noticed it kind of sparked a, a bit of debate that um, are they underappreciated as back-to-back title holders? What do you make of that assessment? I, I, I think there's probably a little bit about about that. Like some outside of Shamrock Rovers, you know, other fans of League of Ireland probably reflect last year and, and look at it. It was only 
half a season and only 18 games. But within the club, you know, because it was only an 18 game season, you know, Rovers won 15, I think, and drew three. They went through unbeaten. I think that made, um, that kind of made a, a, a big difference. Um, there's, there's potentially a worry amongst other League of Ireland fans of other League of Ireland clubs that, that Rovers might continue with this, with, run, with this running run. You know, we saw Dundalk win, what was it, five league titles in, in six years. And, uh, um, listen, these things are cyclical. And, and, you know, if we were talking 10 years ago, Shamrock Rovers won back-to-back league titles and people were saying they would go on and, and dominate it. And, uh, you know, that wasn't that the case. But the club is, is much more stable now than then. Um, and I think people look at the academy within the club and the setup in the stadium, and uh, yeah, they're probably maybe worrying. Well, uh, is Shamrockover is going to go on and, and and dominate? I think one of the other things then is that, um, you know, they've they won the league title. They're they're thirteen points clear, as you said. They won the the title with three games to spare. But, um, you know, they, they play decent football. I think people can appreciate it. But they haven't. I think the biggest win is probably a three goal win. They haven't. Uh, um, you know, haven't hit teams for for five and six, um, and maybe that's what people maybe people want to see. That maybe they want to see, mm. um, you know, someone scoring twenty twenty five goals. But that's not the way Stephen Bradley has his side set up. The goals kind of are spread amongst, um, you know, three or four players. You know, Danny Mandreo's got twelve goals, Rory Gaffney nine goals, Graham Burke nine goals, Aaron Green six goals, all within the league. So, um, but you know. Within the club, it doesn't matter. It's all about winning the title and and giving them a shot at um, you know Champions League football and group stage football in in Europe next year, which mm. the Champions route is, is the way to go. So um, you know it's it's all they're all happy out in in Tal anyway. For sure, and that kind of brings me on to another point. Another point of discussion that a lot of people have been bringing up is the fact that none of the Rovers players actually won Player of the Month um, which I'm sure they'll quickly get over after uh, after the celebrations are done but I mean like you said you look at the spread of goals across the team Danny Mandrew with 12 Rory Gaffney with 9 Graham Burke etc I suppose when you don't have a guy who's shooting the lights out like Georgie Kelly um, you don't have guys like a couple of the Boas players who are, you know, knocking on the, the door, the under-21s group who are kind of catching people's eyes and are kind of the flavour of the month to uh, to excuse the pun. Um, Rovers are very much a kind of a, a team that are nicely spread out and, and kind of everyone is contributing at the end of the day, which is kind of, I suppose, if you're, you know, flicking into the League of Ireland every so often and uh, you're seeing the big names like Kelly and like some of the Boas guys, um, the Rovers may not necessarily tick all those boxes, um, but they do have a little bit more uh, of a team spirit and a team contribution that is probably being overlooked as well. I think one of the things is that there's rightly there's lots of talk of of the Shamrock Rovers Academy, um, you know, particularly with Gavin Mizuno lining out for for Ireland as as the number one. Um, but the the Rovers team there hasn't been the younger players. So no, you're, you're, you're dead right about that. Kind of who are the eye-catching players coming through within the mm. league? And, you, and you, you'd probably look at the likes of Johnny, Johnny Kenny up in Sligo and yeah, Liam Burst, Dawson Devoy at, at Bohemians. Uh, whereas at Rovers, only really in the, in the last months, um, Idem Omaku has been given his chance. He's been involved like in the last seven or eight games. He just turned 18 this week. And while he got a goal in, in Europe 
uh, during the season, he became the, the youngest ever goal scorer for, for Shamrock Rovers in Europe. Um, he got the, the third goal against Finn Harps on, on Friday night in the week that he turned 18. Um, but really, only he's kind of come into the team. If you look at younger players, it's probably Danny Mandreo has kind of been the, the, sta- the standout. Um, and, the you know, the there's a lot of experienced players within the Shamrock Rovers team. And the, the debate now is how, how are Rovers going to, you know, the get the talent to come through and, and are the more experienced players potentially, you know, blocking that talent uh, coming through. So, so yeah, I, I, uh, whether they got a, a player of the month or not, uh, you know, those questions were put <laughs> towards Stephen Bradley on Friday night. And so yeah. he answered again and he said, yeah, well, it does seem a bit strange, but, um, you know, people would have seen he was, there was plenty of celebrations and uh, champagne being, uh, you know, strewn around the, the stands on, on Friday night. So I think, uh, I don't think he was overly worried. For sure. Um, you mentioned one guy in particular, uh, Danny Mendrew, who's kind of had a an interesting career arc so far. I mean, he's still only 23, but he's kind of been, you know, criticised at times, I suppose, towards the end of his, his time at Bowes um, for his commitment. Um, you know, Rovers took him on. I don't know if it was seen as a, ri- a risk at the time amongst at the fan base, um, but I mean, he's come in, obviously has a lot of pedigree, having been over in at Brighton for a while and, you know, young player of the year a couple of years back, but he's come in and he's been absolutely exceptional. And, but not just, you know, his his contribution, but he, he's, he, the importance of his contribution, I suppose, you know, some big goals, um, some important goals and obviously top scorer as well uh, at the club this season. Yeah, he, once he... Once he came in, right from the start of the season, he he was he was very much involved and kind of contributing. Like he got like really important goals, like um, you know the the three one win in against St Pat's. Sorry, the two one win against St Pat's, where he got a a, a late a late goal to 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 win the game. You know, Rovers got a lot of late goals this season. I think they picked up nineteen points. It was from positions where they were behind, but. Um, like his, you couldn't fault his his work ethic. Like, and he was very much, uh, like he played virtually every game. I think there was one or two games he wasn't involved either. He mostly started and a few off the bench, but his con- contribution was was really good. He linked up. Um, I, I think he probably came to the fore even more so towards the end of the season when Graham Burke, who, who kind of plays in a similar enough role, um, uh, Burke was injured. Um, you know, he's only played the last three games off the bench, but he missed six or seven before that. And, um, you know, Mandreu scored, uh, you know, the win against Derry, the first goal against Sligo. So these important goals that were crucial for Rovers to to get over. And he was called into the... Um, it was a late call-up into the Ireland senior squad, um, you know, by Stephen Kenny during the season. I think if yeah. he keeps if he keeps that form up, um, you know, he could be one of you know Rovers have seen a lot of players within their squad called up into international duty. Graham Berkman, one of them, you know, uh, Jack Berm when he was with Rovers previously. Aaron McIniff was was another, um, and you certainly wouldn't discount him. But yeah, people were wondering what it what it'd be like. You know, certainly he was kind of frozen out of Bohemians last year. They they. Um, uh, you know, he really just didn't get a, didn't get a look in. But uh, from a Rovers' point of view, he was he was really crucial to the title winning success. Macdara, in terms of then the best of the rest, I mean, both Pats and Bow scored fifty two goals this season. Sligo Rovers is a bit more pragmatic, but um, have played some good stuff as well, along with Derry um, and Dundalk. Might get their house in order if this takeover goes through. Um, who do you see as the biggest threat to Rovers next season? 
I think there'll be there'll be I think there'll be more of a threat than than this season. Like um, you know, at the halfway point in, in the league, uh, there was essentially a three way tie. I think it was same point, same goal difference between Rovers, St. Pat's, and Sligo Rovers. Um, and I think it was maybe Sligo or Pat's were just ahead on goal scored, but Sligo dropped off. They had quite a bad period when they got knocked out of, of Europe. They've probably done enough. We're, we're talking on Monday night and there's a number of games happening. So, um, you know, it's really tight at, at, at the top. But I think Sligo will probably be thereabouts. But I, I think that the challenge next season will be St. Patrick's Athletic and Derry City. I'm kind of a believer that you need to kind of challenge before you can win the title. I think. Um, you know, Rovers did that a couple of years ago where they, you know, they ran Dundalk relatively close and then dropped off towards the end in, in 2019 and then came back and won the league last year. Similarly, Dundalk, uh, you know, Cork did that challenging Dundalk and then they went on and did win win a title. Um, and Dundalk would have done that previously before they, uh, you know, when Stephen Kenny took charge, they didn't win straight off, but they, they came second. I think it was in the first season. Um, so Pats have been... You know, challenging there with with Rovers this season, um, they'll probably look at the late goals and 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 wonder if they could have hung on and 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 not they could have really taken it towards the the last game of the season. Um, I also think Stephen O'Donnell as, as head coach, he's likely to pick up a few of the Dundalk players that that might be going on because they've they're probably Andy Boyle. I think their club captain might be the only one under contract um, contract next season. So I think Pats will will strengthen. Um, They've brought some very good players in on loan. It's whether they can hang on to those players and whether they can tap into something similar. And then I mentioned Derry City because their their owner has has sold his company for a couple of billion, and that's billion, not million. Um, <laughs> um, and he's talked about investing into the team. You know, um, Rory Higgins came in during the season, and um, you know Derry have uh, done very well under Higgins. A uh, little bit hit hit and miss they're, they're still vying for this um potential last european spot um but what they have done is great business ahead of time they've signed patrick mcclenny they've signed michael duffy both from dundalk all the talk is that will patching who was on loan with them from dundalk earlier in the season and was recalled um on that loan that, that will patching is um is going to go to Derry, and then potentially georgie kelly um might go he's he's uh, georgie kelly's from donegal now he is still um, my understanding he's still studying he's doing, he's doing a master's um, at the minute so uh, whether he might stay at Bohemians but there's a lot of talk that he might go to Derry so if, if you got McElhenney Duffy Patching Kelly with the squad that they already have with a very uh, with a manager who's um, you know a, a young up-and-coming manager but very well regarded um, you know I think they're probably the team that, that could challenge with Bohemians then the expectation this season would probably that they would that they would challenge, but they haven't done that in the league. Um, you know, they had a really good European run and that probably actually hindered them in the league and that they played six European games, that their squad is isn't as strong as, as the other teams around them. So um but the influx of money that they got from that European run probably puts them in a in a strong position and then they're they're in the cup final against St Patrick's Athletic as well. So so um, I, I think it will be. I think if you'd asked at the start of the season who was going to challenge, I think people were probably going. I don't know about Dundalk. No one would have envisaged they'd be in the position they'd be in. Mm. But people were kind of wondering who was going to challenge Shamrock Rovers. It was probably going to be St Pat's, and and that was about it. I think when we're 
were chatting at the start of the the season in in twenty twenty two. I think those teams, depending on the off season and who they sign, I think there's there's several teams that could well challenge for Shamrock Rovers. But obviously, Rovers are expected to probably strengthen over the the winter as well. And on Boas is in as well. Obviously, um, mentioned kind of having flavour of the month players to an extent. But I suppose when you have young, exciting players. To resolve the likelihood of them getting poached elsewhere, I, I've seen. I think Ross Tierney linked with a, a move to Scotland, yeah. and no doubt there'll be lots of interest in in uh, Dawson Devoy as well, which uh, is very difficult for for a team to kind of retain that talent year on year. Yeah, the the key thing is it was something that Dundalk didn't really manage to do. Um, is, is that they they didn't sign players up to longer term contracts, and and they kept losing their best player. Now um, the likes of Pat Hooban. Richie Tell, um, you know, Daryl Horgan, a, a whole Andy Boyle, a whole load of their players, you know, the contract was up and they just went to the UK. Um, the, the key thing is, if, if you're able to do it, if you have the money, is to tie players down to, to a longer contract. So, you know, we've, we've seen players go across England. So, so say, well, across to Scotland, if we're using the example of Liam Scales, who Rover signed from UCD and had him mm. on a, a longer term contract. And it's like, well, if you want this player, you're going to have to pay us some some serious money. Um, and the, listen, the, the model within the League of Ireland really is, um, you know, you want to develop your own players. You want them to get into your team and 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 help you win trophies. And that's something that Bohemians haven't been able to do yet, as I say they are in the cup final. Um, and then if the players are good enough, you, you, you will sell them on. So, you know, you will see players go. But... Um, that you might get a more decent fee for them, that it comes a little bit more sustainable. Because if you look at leagues elsewhere in Europe, away from the major leagues, that's what the model is. You develop your own players, you get them into the team, and then when they're good, you're selling them for serious money. So you look, you know, we look enviously at transfers that are, are made in um, in the likes of Scandinavia, um, you know, or even in Eastern Europe, that players go and they go for the likes of half a million or, or seven figure sums and, and 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 that should be the aim. But the difficulty is, you know, the players know, you know, it's it's a balancing act. Do they want to sign them themselves up yeah. on, on a longer com- term contract or do they want to have the flexibility that whether they can go um across to uh, across to England. And um yeah, there's certainly exciting young talent within the league across, you know, a range of uh, of teams. I mentioned Johnny Kenny earlier on in Sligo. I think he's he's you know he's very young, but um, you know the the scouts beating their way west to have a look at him this season. Um, so very hard for to see whether um, Rovers can hang on to him in, in Sligo next year. I suppose one of the big storylines um, over the course of the season has been Dundalk, um, and that's kind of downfall downfall I suppose um, under Peak Six ownership. And it looks like efforts are being made to sell up now. I believe there's. Um, there's interest from a, a local business consortium, um, and it sounds like there will be some sort of a, a deal done over, over perhaps over the uh, uh, the off season. But um, what's been your opinion of, of of Dundalk and how they've been ran? Um, I mean, it, it does seem chalk and cheese compared to to Shamrock, Shamrock Rovers, who uh, a little bit more self sustainable at this point, and uh, they're kind of you know building up a structure there that can kind of supplement itself over the course of a few seasons, whereas. Uh, Dundalk really feels like a, a missed opportunity um, under P6 following, um, I suppose, Stephen Kenny's era a couple of years back. Yeah, you, you, it goes back to the the managerial appointments. You know, they they appointed a manager who who wasn't qualified, and um, 
like didn't have the requisite qualifications. Now, still got them into the Europa League uh, group stages last season. And they benefited from from the draw and, and the Champions route gives you that opportunity that if you get uh, if you get a favourable draw and you take it, then 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 you get there. And, they, you know, they did beat Shamrock Rovers in, in last year's cup final, but they were second best for, for, for most of it. But then, it, you know, they made the decision to, to you know, if you're going to make the group stages, are, are you going to be able to do it with a squad of League of Ireland players, you know, with players from... Uh, from the island here or maybe supplementing them with you know players from from the UK you know you see it with um Pats you know they've got um Yaros on loan um from from Liverpool you know Maddie Smith so they have players com- coming in like that but Dundalk made the decision to bring players in from outside the league um for huge money like by all accounts their their wage budget was was a multiple of of what the others are and you know they brought players in who um, were internationals, but the rules are. Um, you know, I think they're looking at it for next season. Um, the rules are: if your player is called up to to play uh, international football for for Ireland or Northern Ireland, um, you know, I think if there's two players either at senior level or under twenty one level, you can get the games postponed. But you know, they're the likes of of players playing for, um, you know, the Faroe Islands and uh, I think the Central African. Republic, I think, in in the place of Zahibo, and um, there's one other country I can't remember, um, and that meant there was there was times where they didn't have those players players available to them, and there were players who just weren't, you know, the League of Ireland. I'm not saying you have to be a League of Ireland player and you have to be from Ireland or even a British style of football, but when you're bringing such numbers of overseas players in and you're trying to get them integrated into the team, it just didn't seem to gel. Um, and it was a bit of fiasco at the start of the season where who was in charge? Was it Jim Magilton? Was it Shane Keegan? Was it, yeah. um, you know, Giovanni? Uh, you, you know, it just... Uh, and then they decide to bring Vinnie Perth back in, having sacked him before. Um, you know, it just was uh, it just was a season of, of, uh, of a disaster. And, you know, they're going into the last few games of the season. They had a big win on Friday against Waterford. So it was, uh, you know, to give them a bit of breathing space, the three games left, two of them at home. So there's probably enough that they're not going to be in the, um, in the relegation playoff, but no Europe. It's just so important, you know, with the, the prize money for qualifying for Europe being, you know, over 200,000 euro not to be in Europe is such a big, a, a big dent. And ultimately it's been a failure while they did qualify for the Europa League group stages last year. They spent so much money in bringing the, the squad together that, um, you know, I think peak six are going to leave with a, with a loss. And there's a couple of, you know, interested parties. I think if it is the, the local, um, it'll be much better off. I think, you know, that's one of the reasons, you know, having a, a, a you know, a chairman in a role, you know, they're, they're, you know, living several time zones away and it's just, it just seemed to be a basket case. You're hearing these stories and, um, you know, the thing is that they didn't, what they allowed happen was they allowed players to leave to strengthen other, other clubs. So the likes of Shamrock Rovers were able to sign Sean Gannon and was able to shine, sign Sean, Sean Hoare and it weakened Dundalk and it strengthened Shamrock Rovers. And, uh, you know, that's just really, really bad business. 
In terms of the actual coverage of the league then this season, obviously it's always going to be uh, a controversial issue, uh, especially in the last few years as to how it's been covered between RTE, Air Sport, and then obviously the, the League of Ireland online streaming service, which, you know, had very mixed success during lockdown. Um, I would always feel that RTE as, as the national broadcaster has, has a responsibility more than anybody else to uh, deliver League of Ireland content um, as much as possible. <clears throat> Um, I know some people would feel that potentially if you show too many games online or sorry, on TV, that um, it could lower attendances. But I'd actually think it would drum up more interest in the league when people see the quality on show. What would your opinion be on just the direction that RT is going in general with their coverage, especially having you know missed out even on the teams in Europe this season as well, not showing their matches? They always seem to be missing a trick a bit when it comes to League of Ireland and, and Irish teams in general. Yeah, I, I think that they won't let that situation happen next season. I think it was a, a confluence of, of things just came up in that the Olympics, you know, they had the Euros, the Olympics were on, you know, it's a big commitment for RT. They, they do send, you know, big commitment in terms of production values, sending people to, to Tokyo, um, you know, the amount of that was on. So they, um, and then the fact that air sport basically went bang during the season. So you had this RTE would show matches at the start of the season. Air would come in in the middle when the focus for, for RTE is generally on, on the GA during the summer. And then RTE come in at the end of the season and, and, and show the, um, and show the last few games, or, uh, you know, which we've seen, uh, we've seen in the last few weeks that they've, you know, they've covered a number of games. And I think, um, but the fact that they didn't show, the champions, you know, whether it was Shamrock Rovers or whoever, the, the, mm. the RTE, the national broadcaster, should be showing the champions in Europe. And, you know, if even if that's on RTE News Now or it's on the RTE player, um, they should they should have done that. Like they tend to, for the home games, you know, when RTE go and do the game, they do it full on. You know, it's a full uh, outside broadcast. Like I was over in Tala early on 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 last Friday, it was like six o'clock. The match was kicking off at seven forty-five, and you could see the cars down the end of the the car park in in Tallis Stadium and the big, you know, outside broadcast. You know, they do it. They do it full on. They don't do it uh, half measures, if you like. Um, you know, it can be easy for, but it, but to pick up an away game, they could just go pick up the the national broadcaster and the other. Um, in the other country and, and and put it on. You know, we've we've been more used to having commentators do matches off off stream because of because of covid um and i think that was a real you know they missed out on that um you know they did offer to show shamrock rovers uh one of the games later on but they wanted to move to to earlier in the day you know looking at a five o'clock kickoff and then yeah that's definitely going to affect attendances and that's going to definitely affect um hit hit the gates there was a bit of discussion about matches in the aviva stadium as well so um so it, the whether there'll be an LOI TV next season, it, it seems like there mightn't be. Um, you know, I think it really, um, it really f- filled a vacuum, particularly, you know, before fans, you know, fans yeah. began to come back in in smaller numbers in June. You know, was the the kind of the two hundred, the five hundred at, at that time, and you know, uh, particularly last season when no one was uh, in any game. So I think the LOI TV. Um, you know what they had the watch LOI that they had um, was really important during during lockdown. Like uh, I'm I'm tapping wood here beside me. We're hoping we won't be in that situation next year. But really, will the demand be be there? It's great if you're 
your team is playing away and you can watch a game if you're not a person that goes to away matches on a Friday or you don't need to if you're in a nine to five job you don't need to knock off early to you know to travel up to Dublin or to travel to Derry or travel to Waterford um so that that's great if you're you're an away fan that you can watch it but the demand for home fans I think clubs were like well you know we kind of prefer to to have fans come to the stadium. The other thing that clubs also invested distant amount of money, and I suppose it depends on the size of the club. But you know, having watched a lot of the um, a lot of the streams, and I was a little bit involved in just doing some reporting for the the Shamrock Rovers one. But you know, I would have watched Bohemians did a um, you know their production values were were very high. Similarly with St Patrick's Athletic, some of the other clubs, you know, who wouldn't have the resources of of those Dublin clubs you know, would have just taken, had the feed and, and taken radio commentary, which isn't really great. Um, so you really had this mix of, of um, you know, production values and and uh, and that. But it, but it was, it provided a really good resource during the year for, for people that went, particularly when the, there was very limited attendance. You know, we only, it was only in September where we got up to 50% and, um, you know, only the restrictions were fully lifted, you know, last week when we're, you know, three to four games away from the end of the season. So, so I think it's been great. So, so I suppose to, uh, I've given you a long answer. I, I, the, you know, the Virgin don't seem to have an interest in, in, in picking it up. They don't see the commercial value in it. Um, but RTE, um, you know, they need to be doing a little bit more. I think they got their, their knuckles wrapped and, you know, they got really bad publicity for not doing it. Um, so I think, um, you know, they'll probably pick up Shamrock Rovers again. It's probably a lot easier for them to do that in, in Tala. They have the kind of setup where they, they can they can do that. But the, the missing is, well, what are they going to do in the middle of the season when, you know, the GA Championship is on and they're showing a lot of hurling and a lot of, um, you know, a lot of football you know, that's where you, you suddenly you don't have any football matches. And I, I think they do need to be doing some coverage during the summer when, um, you know, there's big matches happening. And, and suddenly if you're watching an RT, you, you've no matches to watch at all. And it is very frustrating. I mean, when RT do show up, uh, I mean, the, the quality of the coverage is very good, I find, um, yeah. with the likes of Peter Collins. And I mean, some of the, the, the pundits that I get in are, are, are top tier with the likes of Sadler and Kevin Doyle and, you know, Lisa Fallon and uh, kind of an array of, of guys yeah. who've been in and around the, the League of Ireland. But I mean, they, they don't really help themselves either. I mean, I noticed um, last Thursday evening um, that they hadn't advertised uh, the fact that Rovers and Finn Harps was on Friday night. It was like a secret, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, like, it was just after the, the women's game, uh, they'd beaten Finland, which are great numbers. I mean, it did feel like an opportunity to strike while the iron is hot, you know, to advertise the champions. Um, and if someone, I mean, who had a passing interest will say, do you know what, I'll tune in and, and see what these guys are about. Um, and I don't think there was any television advertisement at all before the game. Yeah, it's, it seemed to be. I, I don't know what happened that they. It just seemed to fall off their um, to fall off the radar. And so I know the the last game of the season, the Shamrock Rovers draw the United game in a couple of weeks' time. Um, that is on television. Um, but uh, you know, the trophy presentation makes for um, um, the trophy presentation always makes for uh, a good evening's entertainment. Now they have advertised. Um, you know, this week that, that this coming Friday's game, so the St. Pat's yeah. Sligo Rovers game is live on the television. But um yeah, it just seemed to 
uh, it just didn't seem to be on anyone's radar uh, at all. Like from Shamrock Rovers' point of view, maybe they were happy enough that that wasn't happening. They were trying to get people in, so they had it was over seven thousand, seven thousand and thirty. You know, fairly close to an eight thousand capacity crowd. But um, so uh, so anyway, Orti at least are advertising this 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 coming uh, this week's game, and and you know that'll be a big game deciding where. You know, if if Sligo can get a result, you know, can they finish third mm. and and uh, get into Europe? Because I think uh, Pats Pats are guaranteed to to finish in the top three, um, irrespective of what happens in the, um, you know, that the fact that they're in the the cup final as well means that they'll be they'll be in Europe uh, next season. Um, McDermott, just to finish off, um, like I said at the start, you have, you have a book out um, with Owen Rice on, I suppose, the history of Shamrock Rovers over the past. A uh, hundred plus years um, interviewing, I suppose, some of the the big names that have crossed the divide, the likes of uh, John Giles, um, Jack Byrne, Ronan Finn, Stephen Bradley. What what was the uh, the thought process behind that? I suppose it sounds like a, a labour of love over the over one of the lockdowns. Yeah, it was. Yeah, we kind of um, Owen got in touch with me on on in back in January, and uh, he had done a, a book in in two thousand and five, um, and had interviewed a lot of you know former Shamrock Rovers players, so so many of them no longer with us. And and uh I had I've been doing the the main interview in the Shamrock Rovers match program for about ten years. So I've a lot, you know extensive uh, interviews with with players down the years. So we kind of got the idea of actually could we tell the story of of Shamrock Rovers through the player interviews. So we kind of looked at what interviews we had, what might work to tell the story and then we you know, down the decades, we we knew there was additional players that we needed to talk to. So we did about 20 additional interviews, you know, through kind of February, March and April during, during that last lockdown. Um, so the book is is 50 interviews. Um, so with the earliest interviews with uh, a player who played with Rovers in the, in the 1930s and then right up to, um, you know, sat down well, via Zoom with Stephen Bradley for, for over an hour just to kind of go through, um, you know, his time at Rovers as a player, but then obviously as a manager as well. So we, what we try to do is tell the the stories uh, of Rovers, both the ups uh, and the downs. So it was interesting, you know, Owen would have done the interview with John Giles. He, we wouldn't have talked extensively about his time at managing Rovers where, um, you know, he did win an FAI Cup. But it, it was really interesting to see that interview. You know, what he was doing back in the, the late 70s and early 80s was to you know, there was a, a FOSS course, you know, an academy and um, that they were trying to do. It was, it was about bringing young players in, trying to challenge in Europe. And a lot of what Rovers are trying to do now, he had instigated um, back then. And then, yeah, interesting talking to players who played during the, you know, really difficult years where Tala was still a building site. And, and well, it wasn't even a building site. It was a shell of a stadium and there wasn't even builders there. The likes of, um, you know, Terry Palmer, used to pick uh, uh, Jason Colwell up to go training. And depending on where the park ranger was, they might, if the park ranger was in Time and Park North, they'd train in Time and Park South and or vice versa. And they wouldn't train in, in Rover's gear. So if they saw the park ranger, they'd, they'd scarper, you know. Um, you know, so 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 things like that, that, um, you know, players who played in the, the uh, you know, the 2011 season where Rover's, you know, qualified for the the Europa League, and then yeah, it was interesting talking to uh, spoke to Jack Byrne and to Aaron McAniff at that time. So just about the recent success of Shamrock Rovers, um, 
you know, because they're outside the club, you were kind of get them to to reflect on on their time. But um, yeah, I think for any Shamrock Rovers fan, you know, they they'd uh, you know they'd be picking it up and and you know there'd be players they want to read. But I'd like to think that fans of of just the League of Ireland or, or football in general would be interested in it because it kind of traces the history of the League of Ireland. You yeah. know, there was eighteen players that we interviewed who were all capped for Ireland. Um, during their time at, at, at Rovers and, and particularly I enjoyed talking to some of the players in the 1960s, you know, who played, they won six FAI Cups in a row, but played the likes of Bayern Munich um, and even, you know, some of the players in an earlier era who, who played uh, against Manchester United, played against the Busby Babe. So really interesting kind of stories, listening to, to them tell their uh, tales of, of playing for the football club. So yeah, it was, it was really enjoyable to put together and yeah, we launched at the, at the stadium on, on Friday night. It was kind of a light launch because the <laughs> COVID restrictions are still a little bit, of course. Um, yeah. Like the, 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 the Rovers team were actually training, uh, were changing in the big function room the, because of COVID. They wanted a little bit more space in the dressing room. So, um, but even just trying to do something on, on the night, but it was good to people kind of file through the, the club shop and, and uh, I've never signed my name. So, so much often, but yeah, <laughs> but if anyone is, is looking to get a copy, they'd be able to get it on, on, um, uh, on the Shamrock Rovers online shop. And uh, the way we did it, the, well, maybe maybe fans of other League of Ireland clubs wouldn't want it, but the the proceeds of the book are going to the Shamrock Rovers Academy. So that was one thing that myself and good. were were keen that we wanted. So mm. uh, yeah, no, it was uh, great to put together, and it was great to get it in people's hands because we've been working on it for you know say since January. So it's great to get it out there. Mm. Um, on the academy, I see one name. Um, on the list of, of contributors is Gavin Bazuna, who's uh, quickly becoming the, the darling of Irish soccer. I mean, it must be a, a sense of great pride to see him uh, wearing the number one at the moment. Yeah, it's been it's been brilliant. Like I would have uh, spoken to him a couple of times, um, you know, when he was at, at Rovers and also, um, you know, everyone will have seen he, he's quite willing to do press. He's, he's a very articulate young man, even as, a, as an 18 year old. And, uh, you know, Everyone at you know, I, I he was thrown into the team as as a sixteen year old. I remember being, um, you know, the day he he came in uh, in the stadium beforehand, and they they did you know the team news gets tweeted out first, you know, before, and there was like a buzz around the place. It's like God. He's put the 16-year-old in. What's he going to be like? And, uh, you know, he played four league games. He didn't he didn't let any goals in. Played two games in Europe. And then, you know, people knew clubs were floating around, be it Man City and, and Celtic. And, uh, you know, Rovers got a very good deal, you know, reputed to be about half half a million. And then with add-ons, you know, every competitive game, game he plays up to 10, you know, Rovers are getting a, a six-figure sum. So, um, but no one envisaged that really he'd get in so quickly. I suppose he just got the opportune time. There was a, a you know, an injury that 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 gave him the chance to get the number one jersey. Yep. But but he'd gone out on on loan. That's that's the big debate. You know, Kevin Keller is obviously playing at a massive at a massive club. He's the number two. He's getting the the odd game here and there, like he did play in the league as as well as the League Cup uh, recently. You know, whereas Bazunu, you know. He's down the pecking order in Man City, but they sent him out on loan, you know, to so he's playing football on a, on a regular basis. So it's it's an interesting, you know, whether you do one or the other, and it's working out for Bazunu at the minute. But who's to say, you know, if if Keller gets his chance um, 
to go ahead. But uh, yeah, uh, the thing about Bazunu is he he played from a very very young age. Like his first his first yeah. game, he went to see Rovers play was uh, against Real Madrid in in two thousand and nine. And um, you know his dad and his brother are still going to games, and when he gets a chance to dur- during the off season, the English off season, he he came out to Roadstone and he was um, you know to have say hello to the squad and and have a chat with uh, Alan Manis and Stephen Bradley. So he's still um, you know as they say, once a hoop, always a hoop. He, he definitely <laughs> keeps uh, he keeps the club close, and and everyone at, at Chamber Grovers are are you know delighted to see him get on personally it's not about oh is another cap we get a little bit more money it's about somebody who came up through the academy and uh you know is the poster boy for for the academy but he's obviously an absolute exceptional exceptional talent and mm. uh you know whether you're a rovers fan if you're just a football fan you want him to to do well because he's the potential because he's so young and um, you know the goalkeeper's mature. You know you're looking at someone who could be the dominant goalkeeper for, you know, dare I say it, more than a decade to come. I don't want to put too much pressure on him, you know. <laughs> but uh, you know whether he breaks in at Man City is is another thing. They're just such a, you know, they're just so high a stratosphere of of a club. But um, you know the fact that he's playing regularly, playing for Ireland, gives him every opportunity. Mm. Yeah, I think everyone. Um, from an Irish perspective, anyway, has been blown away by him so far, and especially uh, how mature he seems yeah, for yeah. for such a young age. Um, McDermott, that book is available on the official Shamrock Rovers website, I believe. If everyone wants to check that out, um, definitely looks uh, worth looking into, whether regardless of uh, your allegiances. But McDermott, thanks very much for coming on this evening. Thanks very much. Really enjoyed the chat, guys. Take care. Respect. 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 Respect.